We will be reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Delroy, for reading the scripture. Uh, Before we jump into our text uh, today, I just want to make one brief comment. Uh, So for next Sunday starts our Discover OGC class. Now, we believe that God has blessed his people with the gift of the local church for their edification and for their building up. Now, the Discover OGC class is your entryway uh, into seeing what God might have for you at this local church. It's geared towards helping you to understand uh, what we believe, who we are, uh, and how we practice our beliefs, both both here on Sunday morning, uh, but also throughout the week and throughout the world. Uh, It starts at 5.30 next week. It's a three-week class led by Jim, 
Uh, and while there's no means of obligation, if you go to the class after that, it is the first step uh, if you're per- planning to pursue membership here at Orlando Grace. So if you're interested, fill off the tear-off tab in your worship guide that you should got when you walked in, and just let us know if you're coming and if you need child care. Uh, we really believe this is very important, and we would love to see you there. Now, turning our attention to God's Word, uh, we'll be in Matthew 13. So if you've been following along in our series in Matthew for the last few weeks, you know that we're skipping ahead just a few chapters and before returning back to Matthew 9 next week when Jim is back. Uh, so, so far in Jesus' ministry, we, we see him, he's been baptized, he's healing, and he's teaching. And one common thread throughout these early actions of Jesus' ministry is that there's people reacting to them, and, and these reactions are super varied, right? So you have some opposing him, and you have some embracing him. Now, you can never really know how someone is going to react to something. And I know some of us have probably learned that the hard way. Um, but on May 1st, 2018, my wife Brianna and I decided that we were going to move to Orlando. Now, this was about 12 days before we were getting married. So we didn't have, we had a, a, a little, uh, a, around three months to get ready. So not a ton of time to prepare. I mean, Brianna was literally interviewing for jobs in Orlando over the phone on our honeymoon. Uh, and this, on top of that, despite the warnings of my wife and the short amount of time that we had to prepare for these, you know, two huge life moments, I also thought it would be a really good idea for us to go on a month-long work trip uh, three days after our honeymoon. So we return from our honeymoon, it's towards the end of May, and then I'm like, okay, now let's go to Wyoming for a month, and then when we get back, we'll have about three weeks left to uh, get ready to move. Then on top of that, I think, you know what else would be a really good idea? While we're moving to Orlando, we should go to an Atlanta Braves game. And then I think, you know what else? After the Braves game, let's go to a concert that's being held on the field after the game. Now, in my eyes, this was living, you know, the, the exciting life of a young married couple, you know, moving on, you know, kind of spur of the moment, doing spontaneous things. But for my wife, who is a normal person, this was totally overwhelming, right? Totally overwhelming. You see, we perceive the same set of circumstances totally different ways. Now, obviously, the way that people are reacting to Jesus' ministry, the way that people are reacting to the gospel is, is far different than just the differences in Brianna and I's personalities. But what I want us to see is, is, that, is that in the way we react to things, it's revealing something about us, right? The way we react to the gospel reveals something about us. Just as the way that Brianna and I reacted to, you know, this, this hyperactivity in a short amount of time revealed something about us. So in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23... Jesus is confronting this reality that people are reacting to his message in different ways. And today, we are confronted with the same Jesus and the same message of Jesus. And here's the thing, the way we react to him, the way we react to this ministry of Jesus, this message of Jesus that we're presented with in Matthew reveals our hearts. It reveals something about us. The message of Jesus exposes where our true loyalties lie. It exposes what we truly desire and what we truly love. Now, the question that this text poses to us is when the word reveals something about our hearts, when the the word exposes our hearts, how do we react, right? Because if it exposes a heart that's, that's become cynical towards religion, does it move us towards exploring the idea again? 
if it exposes a heart that uh, is wrapped up in the security of wealth and, and, and possessions, does it move us towards reaffirming our loyalty in God? Whatever the word exposes about our hearts, does it move us towards faith and repentance? These verses we're looking at today lie before us two reactions to the same message, either reasserting our loyalty to the kingdom of this world or asserting our loyalty towards the kingdom of God. And in light of this exposing, we must do three things, and this will correspond to our three points today. We must do three things. We must hear the word, we must cultivate our heart soils, and we must go boldly. So first, hear the word. So early in Jesus' ministry, as I mentioned, we're confronted with the Jesus who's healing people, he's teaching, he's claiming the authority to forgive sins, which we'll look at next week, and he's, and he's claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath, right? So these are pretty massive claims for Jesus to be making. And as I've mentioned, there's some stark reactions, right? So the lame and the sick and the poor, they're embracing Jesus, right? Because they see him as they see him for who he is, as the one that can deliver them from their afflictions, but then on the other hand, you have the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus' family who are rejecting him. We read in Matthew 12, we see the Pharisees are seeking to destroy him. Right? That's pretty intense, right? The Pharisees are seeking to destroy him. And in Mark 3, that, that in the Gospel of Mark precedes this chapter, uh, the, the parable of the sowers, we read, And when his family heard, the, heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Right? This is not like some award ceremony that you see on TV where the person gets up and they're like, I just want to thank my family you know, for always believing in me when no one else believed in me. No, it's like the total opposite of that. Right? The people that are closest to Jesus, his family and the religious, are the ones that are rejecting him. And what's more, the disciples that he's just called don't even understand who he is or what he's there to do. And so it's at this crossroads of reactions between the, the poor and the lame and the sick accepting him and the religious rejecting him, that Jesus gives the parable of the sower. Now, the parable of the sower is one I'm, I'm sure we're, we're likely at least somewhat familiar with. It's one that I feel like a lot of times people go to when they start talking about parables. And it's easy for us when we look at the parable of the sower to put a lot of emphasis on the results, the results of what the, the soils produce. And so we look at it and we say, Okay, riches and trials are, keep us from producing fruit, so don't do those things. But then the good soil does this, so do those things because that's how we produce fruit. Right? So we put the emphasis on the results. And there's certainly an aspect of that to this passage, and we're going we're gonna to look at that later. But to focus solely on the results of the soils is to miss the point of the passage. Because Jesus doesn't want us to simply see the results. He wants us to see why the results happen. You see, the parable of the sower is not so much about the sower as the title hints. Rather, it's about the soils. The soils not simply tell us how to get good results, but the soils expose to us the states of the heart that are exposed by the word. So the parable opens with the sower going out to sow and he sows widely. You know, kind of a, a little bit of a tongue twister. The sower goes out to sow and he sows widely. And in keeping with this image that Jesus is giving us, keep in mind that this ground would not have been tilled. So it wouldn't have been ripped up so they could see, you could see what's underneath, uh, underneath the ground, right? So if we were to all go out here onto the side lot beside the worship center and start casting seeds, which would be kind of a weird thing to do, but I don't know if we were into like, you know, 
physical representations of what we're doing. We could all go do that later if you want to really pick up on what Jesus is saying. But if we were to go out into the side field and start casting seeds, we would have no idea whether those seeds would grow or not. And it has nothing to do with the fact that many of us in here have likely never grown anything in our lives. But it has everything to do with the fact that we cannot see what's underneath the soil. So what reveals what's underneath? What reveals how good that soil is for growing something? whether it grows or not. And in the same way, in Matthew, we see Jesus going around and he's sowing the gospel and the hearts of the people are revealing themselves. Revealing themselves to be resistant to the gospel, revealing themselves to be too shallow for the gospel, and even revealing themselves to be ready for the gospel. But in all of these reactions, it's the word, it's the gospel that's doing the exposing. It's the, it's the gospel that's showing what's underneath. And why is that? You see, the gospel exposes our hearts because the gospel demands a response. Now, this leads us to a huge question that we haven't really dealt with, but what is the gospel? What is this gospel that has the power to expose? Early on in in Jesus' ministry, we, we read this in Mark 1, 14 through 15. We read, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the gospel of Jesus is that the kingdom of God, the reign of God that will put everything right and restore justice has come in the person of Jesus. God's global restoration has, has started through, through Jesus' defeat of sin and death in his own death and resurrection. And in response, in response to, to this global restoration that God is working through Jesus' death and resurrection, we must turn from following the kingdom of the world and believe in the kingdom of God. Now, how does that demand a response? How does that message demand a response? Some of you may have seen the TV show, uh, The Crown, on Netflix. I know Jim referenced this a few weeks ago, so, you know, what does that say about us? Uh, it it's, it's, it's the details the life of Queen Elizabeth II, who has been the Queen of England since the 1950s. Now, in the first season, her husband, Philip, is planning her coronation, and a uh, controversy arises between the two of them, because in the midst of the planning, Philip believes that when they place the crown on her head and everyone kneels, he should not be required to kneel, because that's his wife, and he thinks that, hey, you know, everyone else should have to kneel, but because you're my wife, I shouldn't have to kneel. Now, the controversy arises because if he refuses to kneel, what he's really doing is refusing to accept and and recognize her authority, right? He must kneel. And you see, when given the option of kneeling or standing, there's no third option, right? There's no neutral way out. To stand is to refuse to kneel. To kneel is to abandon standing. In the same way, When the gospel of the kingdom of God and the person of Christ confronts us, there are only two options, to accept him or to reject him, to kneel or to stand. There's no third way out. And what Jesus is demonstrating here in this parable is that the response to the gospel, the response between those two options is going to reveal something about our hearts. So what must we do? What must we do in light of this exposing, in light of this demand for a response? Look at the very last words of the parable. Jesus says, let them hear. And in the gospel of Mark's account of this same parable, when Jesus gives it, the first word he says is, listen. Since the gospel 
reveals our hearts, we must hear the instruction of the word, right? And the call, the, the, the word bears witness to who Jesus is and the call to listen is a call to act. It's a call to recognize who this is, wrestle with who he is, wrestle with, recognize that the, the kingdom that he's bringing and respond to who he is, the Lord, who is bringing his reign into this world with the fruit of faith and repentance. Some of us today may have come in here with our minds totally made up about who Jesus is. Not only who Jesus is, but what he has done and what he can do. But the call to listen and the call to hear is not just for those who have never heard it. Jesus is speaking to a crowd that's been listening to him, uh, has been listening to him and following him, including his disciples and his family, and they've been following him. This gospel message is a word that is meant to be heard and responded to over and over again. The sowing of the word when it's proclaimed is an opportunity for all of us to renew our hearts in him. So whether for the first time or for the millionth time, Jesus calls to us, listen, hear the word, hear this gospel and respond. And look at what he says about the good soil in verse 23. In verse 23, he says that the hearts with the good soil are the ones that hear the word and understand it. They hear the word to live a life that flourishes in the way of the Lord that is marked by the fruit of the spirit is to hear the message of Jesus and accept it in faith. Now, not only does he call us to faith, but wrapped up in that, wrapped up in this, he calls us to repentance. So, so to turn from the heart that does not accept his rule and reign. So now we turn to our second point, which is cultivating our heart soils. Cultivating our heart soils. So there's a way of looking at this passage that renders what Jesus is saying as a fatalistic condemnation of the heart soils that don't follow him. So in this way, when Jesus is saying, giving the, the, the parable of the sower, he's essentially saying, these are the states of the heart that don't accept me, and this is just the way they're going to be. This is, there, there's just no, they're not going to change. This is how they'll be. And this seems to be what Jesus wants, how Jesus wants us to read this in light of his quotation of Isaiah 6 in the middle of the passage where he says, uh, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, does Jesus really not want those who are rejecting him to turn, uh, to, to turn and be forgiven? Consider who's in the crowd, right? So the disciples who do not understand, considering his family came the chapter before, we can assume that they're also in the crowd. We have the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners. Is Jesus really saying in this passage that their hearts are consigned to the state they will be in now forever? Is that what Jesus is saying? This can't be it. This can't be it. Why? Because we see following Jesus' work on the cross, it's the disciples who now don't understand who are going forth with the gospel, right? It's his brother James who rises up as a leading figure in the church. And we see scribes and Pharisees and and sinners and tax collectors all believing him. So here, Jesus is not consigning those who are rejecting him to the fates that the word is exposing in their hearts. Rather, Jesus is calling them He's calling them to cultivate the soils of their hearts to receive the word and flourish. He's calling them to repentance. In Jesus' gospel ministry, he's seeing the hearts of the people exposed in their reaction to the word and he's called to them in this parable is to see their heart soils. To see their heart soils. And that's what we're about to do. We're about to walk through these different soils that Jesus is talking about. And I want us to consider these soils. Where do we see our own heart in them? 
Where do we see our hearts in these soils? So first, perhaps our heart is seen in the first soil where the seed is snatched up. So the idea that there's a transcendent being who has entered into the world in the person of Jesus Christ and speaks through his word seems totally ludicrous to you. Like Jesus gets it, right? That's his point in giving this heart soil. And so I wonder if the reason that it seems so ludicrous, if it seems so unbelievable, is because you've never taken the word on its own terms. You've never considered the fact that there is a God who has spoken through his word and has come in the person of Jesus. So what would it look like to cultivate a heart soil that took the word on its own terms? Not only that, but even amongst those in us, of us in here who already believe in Jesus, our hearts can be hardened to the, to the word working itself down into our heart, right? So uh, maybe you've been harmed by someone and, and, it, and it, it's justice for you to burn with anger towards them rather than forgive them. You're hardened to the gospel that calls you to forgiveness, right? Or maybe you know that God has you in this place, uh, this stage of life for a reason, but you're just too bitter, just too bitter to see what he might have for you here. Or maybe it's just as simple as that that God is is calling you, or the gospel's calling you to repent of a specific sin that you cherish, that's just too good to give up. Our hearts can be hardened to the word. But what would it look like to cultivate a heart soil that allowed the gospel to move us towards the priority of the kingdom? What would it look like for us to cultivate a heart soil that allows the word to transform us? That, that, that fights against the hardness of the soil for the gospel to work its way down into our soil. Second, maybe your heart is typified by the seed that fell on the rocky ground that is scorched by the trials and persecution of this world. Right? So the bitterness of pain has driven out any appetite for the gospel. Right? Maybe you're currently in a season of suffering or loss that is so significant that the word of God doesn't seem to aid at all. And in fact, the promises of good things to God's people actually seems to make things much, much worse. We must take a step back and ask ourselves, did the promises of God fail or did we not allow the word of God to go deep enough? Look at how Jesus diagnoses the problem with the rocky soil. He says, it had no depth of soil. And later, when he's explaining the passage, he says, they have no root in themselves. So what causes the good soil to endure and even thrive in the midst of pain is that the good soil is anchored, has the word anchored deep into its being. So if you feel the word within you is shriveling underneath the heat of affliction, don't abandon the word. Don't abandon the gospel of God's kingdom of his kingdom of restoration. Don't see the promises of God as failing, but trust that the promises of God will be fulfilled. Consider the pain of David and how he laments in the Psalms. In Psalm 39, 13, David says, he says to God, he says, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. That is pain, that's pain. He's telling God, depart from me, look away from me that I may smile again. That is pain. But he's not faithless in speaking to God in this way. He's not faithless in speaking to God in this way. Rather, he's holding on to the promise that God will hear him. This is what he says earlier in that same song. He says, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. 
If the word has exposed a heart that is rocky, Jesus calls us to cultivate a heart that allows the gospel to go deeper, that holds on to the promises of God with gripped hands. Third, maybe your heart is seen in the soil surrounded by thorns. Surrounded by thorns. So Jesus says a few things about they, that are keeping this heart soil from producing fruit. First, he says that the cares of the world. And sure, this means you know, caring about the things that the world cares about. But it also means, it also shows the fact that in caring about the things that the world cares about, we begin to wonder, we begin to be consumed with wondering whether the world cares about us. Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, uh, uses a silly illustration to demonstrate the ways uh, that we allow the cares of others to consume us. The cares of others to consume us. He asked the reader to think about singing in the car, right? And I know that the first time I preached here, I, used, I mentioned to you guys my affinity for listening to the Avid brothers and, and singing very loudly in my car. And I even mentioned that if you saw me, I would be quite embarrassed. And so this kind of hits home. When, when Ed, Elch, Ed Welch writes, we can be singing with all our heart we are, we are, when we are by ourselves driving to work, radio blasting. So if I pass some of you guys and I see you, I'm going to be no, and I'm going to let you know I saw you. But if someone happens to see us, we're embarrassed. It doesn't matter that that person who saw us was completely anonymous, never to be seen again. He or she still saw us and briefly reminded us of the deeper fear of being exposed. Jesus is asking us to see the way that the desire to be liked or the desire to please, or the desire to live up to others' expectations actually controls us and keeps the word of God from, from working itself deep in our lives, to, from producing fruit in our lives. Because you see, if our hearts are consumed with the thoughts of others, with, with are, are concerned with what others are constantly thinking about us, then our hearts will never be consumed with love for God. Second, he says that this seed, the seed in the thorns, is kept from producing fruit because of the deceitfulness of riches the deceitfulness of riches, right? So money promises, uh, promises control of your life, right? Money promises that you will never need or want again because, because whatever desire you might have, money will give you the power to meet that need or meet that desire, right? But what does money really do? What does money really do? It, it promises to make you the master of your fate and the captain of your soul, the captain of your destiny. But what it really does is it enslaves us to an unceasing appetite and enslaves us to compare, constantly comparing ourselves to others. What's more, in this promise to give us power over our fate, in this promise that it will give us this power to control, even the little bit of power it offers, we're deceived because it only lasts for a minute. Robert Burns, the Scottish poet, says of pleasures, he says, but pleasures are like poppies spread. Seize the flower, its bloom is shed. Or, the, or like the snow falls in the river, a moment white then melts forever. Do you see the deceitfulness of riches? Third, he says uh, of this seed that's uh, with the thorns, it's kept from producing fruit because of the desires for other things. Desires for other things. Now consider the way that this flips the kingdom of God on its head. Because just a few chapters earlier in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus promises, promises to his people that all things to his people if they seek him. But instead of seeking him, we're consumed by the desire for other things. The pull of desire draws our sight away from seeking him. 
the things that are provided by the kingdom are no longer seen as enough. We need other things. And in doing so, the word of God, the seed is suffocated within us. We feel this need for other things more than the kingdom. And so the seed is suffocated. For those of us who have received the word, who have received this gospel of Jesus, we can feel the times in our lives when this seed is suffocated, right? When, when the busyness of life and the constant toil of life has suffocated our religious life, has suffocated, has leaves our, our spiritual lives, our relationship with the Lord gasping for air, right? We can feel that. If that's you today, Jesus is calling us to cultivate a soil of our heart by refocusing our affections by refocusing our wealth and and refocusing our reliance on him and his reign as king. And so if we cultivate a heart soil that resists the hardness, that resists the hardness and is open to the word, that allows the word to work itself deep within us, that seeks first his kingdom, then we'll see a heart soil that looks like the good soil. We will hear the word, we'll accept it, and we will bear fruit. We'll see our lives transform and we'll see the kingdom of God spread in our hearts. And when this kingdom is spread in our hearts, we'll long to see it spread in others. So this is our third point. Since the message of Jesus exposes our hearts, we must go boldly. So for the Trekkies in the room that are, you know, really excited because Picard is back, you can consider this the go boldly where no man has gone before point, if that helps you to remember it. Uh, The second half of this passage starting in verse 10, is Jesus speaking just with his disciples. So while the parable is given to the, this mixed crowd of people reacting positively and reacting negatively to his message, starting in verse 10, the explanation is given just to his disciples. Now, why is that? You see, just as Jesus is encountering different reactions to his message, Jesus is preparing the disciples for the same thing. Look at the book of Acts, and what do you see? You see the disciples going forth with the message of Jesus and they are experiencing all kinds of resistance. And in the midst of being slandered, in the midst of being brought before rulers, of being stoned and martyred, we, we see the disciples going with such boldness that Acts 4.20 says that, we can, that they declare, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. In the midst of this pain and suffering, they say, we cannot, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Now, how is it that these men... In, the light, in, in light of a people that resist them, in light of a culture that resists them, in light of a government that resists them, how is it that they're able to go boldly? Here's how. They see what Jesus is saying in the parable of the sower. They see that the response to the word is not within their power to control. Rather, it is the power of the Lord through his word that exposes hearts and draws them unto himself. And that's good news for, that's good news for a couple of reasons. One, it means that even the cultivating of our hearts that we just talked about in the last point, it means that even that cultivating that we're called to do is not a work to earn the favor of the Lord, but it is itself a grace from God. But it's also good news because it means that we can go boldly as the disciples do. Because if the word of God is, if it's the word of God that exposes hearts and moves others towards the kingdom of God, then the people of God can go boldly because the burden of reactions are not within our control. Right? So we can... We are freed from the pressures of trying to convince someone or argue someone into the kingdom. We're freed from a type of thinking in evangelism that's best defined as as tactical. And we're freed to a sowing. We're freed to a sowing that's defined by faithfulness to God and love for the person. As Paul says, we can spend and be spent for the kingdom. 
we can suffer rejection and persecution just as the early church did because we know that God's word will accomplish the purpose for which it's been sown. We can rest assured that God is working in them to make them desire and move towards him. To fail to sow the seed at all is to fail to see that the Lord does give growth, does change hearts through his word. But to fail to sow the seed boldly is to fail to see the goodness of the Lord in giving us a task that cannot fail. In our hands we sow the word, but in the heart, but the heart of the hearer is in the hands of the Lord, and in his hands is hope. The rest of Jesus' earthly ministry would be defined by the differing reactions to his message, and ultimately, Jesus is killed by those who reject him. But the good news of this parable, the good news of this parable is that the rejection of men is not a failure on the part of Jesus but it's instrumental to his plan. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So who delivers Jesus up? The hands of lawful men. How do they do it? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This God brings forgiveness and life to the world through the rejection of Jesus by the heart souls that are not prepared to receive him. And it brings life and forgiveness to the heart souls that are prepared to, that, that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. We have hope in our sovereign God. Today, he calls us to listen and he calls us to cultivate heart souls so that we may too live lives of fruitfulness that bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of your kingdom. We ask today that you would be working in our hearts, sending your spirit to cultivate our hearts to receive this word today, that it may move us towards the priorities of your kingdom, that you would set up the reign of your kingdom in our hearts, Father. In your name I pray.